It was a custom at the feast to release a prisoner, anyone the people asked for. There was one prisoner called Barabbas, locked up with the insurrectionists who had committed murder during the uprising against Rome. As a crowd came up and began to present its petition for him to release a prisoner, Pilate anticipated them. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Pilate knew by this time that it was through sheer spite that the high priest had turned Jesus over to him. But by then, the high priest had worked up the crowd to ask for the release of Barabbas. The governor asked, then what do I do with Jesus, the so-called Christ? They all shouted, nail him to a cross. He objected, but for what crime? But they yelled all the louder, nail him to a cross. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was imminent, he took a basin of water and washed his hands in full sight of the crowd, saying, I'm washing my hands of the responsibility for this man's death. For now on, it's in your hands. Your judge and jury, the crowd answered, we'll take the blame, we and our children after us. Then he pardoned Barabbas, but he had Jesus whipped and then handed over for crucifixion. They took Jesus away. Carrying his cross, Jesus went out to the place called Skull Hill. Along the way, there was a man walking by, coming from work, Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They made him carry Jesus' cross. A huge crowd of people followed, along with women weeping and carrying on. At one point, Jesus turned to the women and said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. The time is coming when they'll say, lucky the women who never conceived, lucky the women who never gave birth and never nursed. When they crucified him, the Roman soldiers took his clothes and divided them up four ways, to each soldier a fourth. But his robe was seamless, a single piece of weaving. So they said to each other, let's not tear it up, let's throw dice to see who gets it. This confirmed the scripture that said, they divided up my clothes among them and threw dice for my coat. They nailed him up at nine o'clock in the morning. The charge against him, the king of Jews, was printed on a sign. Along with him, they crucified two criminals, one to his right and the other to his left. At noon, the whole earth become dark and the darkness lasting three hours because the sun stopped shining. The temple curtain split right down the middle. Jesus called loudly, Father, I place my life in your hands. Then he breathed his last. There was a man by the name of Joseph, a member of the Jewish high council, a man of good heart and good character. He had not gone along with the plans and actions of the council. His hometown was the Jewish village of Arimathea. He lived in alert expectation of the kingdom of God. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Taking him down, he wrapped him in a linen shroud. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus at night, came now in broad daylight carrying a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. They took Jesus's body and following the Jewish burial custom, wrapped it in linen with the spices. There was a garden near the place he was crucified and in the garden, a new tomb chiseled into the rock, a tomb never yet used. Good evening. Last night, many of us gathered here in this room to remember the night in which Jesus was betrayed. John tells us at the beginning of 
the narration of those events in John 13, that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus took off his robes as a rabbi and wrapped himself in the towel of a servant and washed his disciples' feet. Who would do such a thing? Jesus shared his final meal with his friends, the Passover meal, and yet at one point of the meal, he, he surprised everyone by, by saying, this is me for you. Who would do such a thing? Jesus then went with the disciples to the garden where he was betrayed by his friend with a kiss. Jesus loved even Judas all the way to the end. Who would do such a thing? And then he was arrested. He, he was put on a, a mock trial. He was lied about. He was brutally tortured. And he was condemned to die. The innocent judged guilty so that the guilty might go free. Who would do such a thing? Only Jesus. In the summer of 1857, as he was dying of tuberculosis, the Scottish Anglican preacher Henry Francis Light insisted on rising from his sickbed and going to preach one final sermon. Despite the protests of his friends and family, he, he, he rose up, summoned the strength, and preached his final sermon, a, a rousing sermon despite his frailty, a sermon about Holy Communion, the body of Christ given for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. And that, then that evening, he went home and he took up his pen and he wrote the words to a hymn, a hymn that would be sung the first time at his funeral, the hymn, Abide With Me. And the opening lines of that hymn begin with these words. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord. With me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, abide with me. Help of the helpless. What apt words to describe our Savior. One of my favorite preachers, who I've never actually heard preach, but I've read a number of her published sermons, Fleming Rutledge, once preached a Good Friday message called The Crucifixion of Self-Help. Here's what she says. We expect people to reap what they sow, to get what they deserve, to, to make their own luck, to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. But today, as we enter more deeply into the experience of Good Friday, we begin perhaps to see how the Son of God has entered into the condition of those who cannot save themselves, those who are defenseless, those who deserve to die. This was his free choice. In Gethsemane, in Gethsemane on Thursday night, he asked the Father if he not, might not be spared this final sentence, this death penalty. And he rose from his knees knowing that he had chosen the path laid out for him before the world began. In the garden that night, he shrank from the sentence of judgment that he did not deserve. 
But in the wrestling, in the struggle, in the agony that the disciples were too weak to share, he submitted to that sentence on our behalf so that it would not fall on us. He went forth to arrest, trial, and execution. He became the judge judged in our place. He has written our death sentence in his own blood and thereby has deflected it from us forever. Who would do such a thing? Only Jesus. Luke narrates the events of that faithful Friday morning in Luke chapter 23. Beginning in verse 33, we read these words. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't, do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. Crucifixion was the most gruesome form of execution ever devised by humans. The cross didn't actually make its way into Christian art until all of those who had possibly witnessed an actual crucifixion had died. The most gruesome form of execution ever devised. And yet, the gospel writers do not focus much attention on the horrors of crucifixion. Their attention lies elsewhere. Here, Luke uses only four words. They crucified him there. But the point of crucifixion wasn't death. There were much more efficient ways that they had to do that. The point of crucifixion wasn't death. The point of crucifixion was shame, public shame, public humiliation, reducing this one who hung naked on the cross to a spectacle, a spectacle of horror and derision. It, it, the point was to make them a public spectacle so as to, to, to proclaim to all who might witness, this would be your fate should you choose to defy the almighty empire. Should you choose to defy the power of Rome. Jesus was made a public spectacle, but even as they nailed him to the cross, even as they raised him up and began to jeer at him, Jesus summoned the breath to pray. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And over and over as they mocked him, as they hurled insults at him, he would pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All those gathered around began to jeer. We continue reading in verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews, and one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. 
Did you hear the, the people, the, the rulers, the soldier, the, the criminal, they're all mocking him, they're all jeering him, they're all insulting him. If you are the Messiah, if you are the king, if, 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 then save yourself. And this was the, the dilemma that Jesus faced. To be sure, he could have saved himself. But the dilemma that he faced was save himself or save us. They mocked him, they jeered at him. Come down, save yourself, if, if, if. In Colossians chapter one, Paul reminds us poignantly of who this is that they are mocking. Colossians 1, 15 to 17, Paul writes, the son is the, invisible, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the one who created the glands that produced the saliva that they spit upon him. He is the one who gave them the strength to nail him to the cross. He is the one who held them together as they mocked him, ridiculed him. He was no helpless victim who hung upon the cross the one who holds the universe together willingly subjected himself to their torture, to their jeers, to the agony, and to the death that he might be the help to the helpless. And then the other criminal spoke up, verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The cross, crucifixion, was reserved for rebels, for insurrectionists, for those who dared to defy almighty Rome. And so these two men who hung there with Jesus had done just that. They were terrorists. They were insurrectionists. They, they had committed violence in opposition to the empire. And he knew that he hung there justly. He was getting what his crimes deserved. But in those moments, he watched this one and saw that there was something different. In those hours, he saw the way that he loved even those who crucified him. In those hours, he heard him pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He watched as he cared, even from the cross, tenderly for his mother. He saw something in this man that, that as he watched, he said, who would do such a thing? Surely he must be king. He must be Messiah. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus answered him, Luke tells us, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There is no greater picture of helplessness than the thief upon the cross. There was nothing he could do to save himself. There was nothing that he could he could do. There was no act that he could perform, that he had no opportunity to do anything to merit God's grace. But the good news is grace is not about merit. There is no greater picture of utter helplessness than the thief upon the cross who simply cries out to Jesus and says, Jesus, I trust you. Abide with me. May I abide with you. May I be with you when you enter your kingdom. And as he hung there, gasping for breath, he pulled himself up to take one final breath. And the darkness closed in around him. And then he awoke, bathed in light, And he reached out his hand and he found that his nail-pierced hand was grasped by another nail-pierced hand. He found that he was safe, that he was free, that he was embraced, that he was held, that he was alive, that he was with Jesus in paradise. At the funeral of that old Scottish preacher, they sang these words. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, Lord, abide with me. Help of the helpless, abide with me. On this Good Friday evening, we remember our helplessness. And we remember that it was no helpless victim that hung upon the cross. The one who holds the universe together willingly subjected himself to their torture, to their jeers, to the agony, and to the death that he might be the help of the helpless. Who would do such a thing? Only Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, on this Good Friday, we come here to contemplate the cross of Christ, to remember what he has done, to remember what he has done for us. Tonight, Lord, we confess to you our helplessness, our desperate need for you. Nothing 
that we have ever done nothing that we could ever do to merit your grace. But your grace is freely given to us. And that we look to the cross and we see the extent of your love for us. We see Christ willingly submitting himself unto death on our behalf. We contemplate the reality that this was no helpless victim upon the cross, but that the one who holds the universe together willingly submitted himself to it for us. Who would do such a thing? Only Jesus. And so tonight, Lord, in response, we say, Jesus, I trust you. With whatever circumstances I find myself in where I feel helpless, Jesus, I trust you. Help of the helpless abide with me. In life, in death, Jesus, I trust you. Abide with me. And tonight, in response, we worship. We worship the crucified king. And we pray all of this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.